1: It is great to be in God's house today. You guys look amazing. And you know what? What was birthed at Empower Conference did not die the Saturday afternoon. That conference ended. That that was the start, not the end. It was the beginning, not the end. The word that God has for our church and for you is revive, 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 revive. great nation but for you actually take a minute right now think about what you need God to revive in your life God spoke through his prophet and said I want you you're, you're surveying a valley of dry bones prophesy to the bones dry bones hear the word of the Lord What do you need to prophesy to today? What needs to be revived? Maybe it's your view of yourself. Maybe you've been so demoralized and you felt like the enemy has tried to grind you into the dust during this season and you need a revival of who God made you to be. Reach out to Him today. Maybe it's your financial world that has been ravaged that's dehydrated and needs a revival maybe it's your family your marriage whatever it is reach out to heaven today prophesy to the dry bones old oh, dry bones hear the word of the Lord we prophesy life where death was we prophesy fruitfulness where barrenness was Father, everything that the enemy has tried to steal, what the swarming locusts have devoured, I thank you, Father, for a season of revival. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Go ahead and grab your seats. Thank you, friends. So beautiful. How many people love our new album? I I haven't listened to anything else since I got back from Italy, which I have renamed Italy. I was telling everybody at Empower Conference, we had the best time. Uh, Pastor Yergin and I ate our way across the, uh, the southern part of Italy. Amazing. They ate pasta twice a day and they managed to stay slim. It's, it's because they, they walk everywhere. We were checking like our walk up, and we were walking like five, six miles a day. It was like a whole new world. And I come back to America and I get in my my car and I'm driving everywhere. Even if it's like half a mile, I'll drive it. It's pretty far. But it's wonderful to be home and wonderful to be back with you beautiful, beautiful people. I have a word today. Whenever you see me wearing sneakers, you know it's going to be a prophetic word. (laughs) Because just a little telltale sign for you, if I'm in heels, I might be teaching. If I'm in sneakers, then I'm going to be prophesying. So I, I want to say this to you today, words like these, they carry a spirit, an impartation. And, and you're going to, to hear some truths, some practical Truths that you can apply to your life today, but God wants to impart something. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, "Those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches." And I believe God is speaking very, very clearly to the church in in the United States at the moment. And I've loved reading through our Bible in a year. And when I get to First Samuel, I just it's I just love it because I could preach on David forever. I could preach on King David forever. And I think there's no greater masterclass on the difference between uh, two, the two potential characters that could reside in us than the distinction between King Saul and King David. Yeah, right, right. And, and for us, we get the beautiful benefit of being able to read it in black and white, but I think living it would have been so different. Because on paper and even to the untrained eye, King David and King Saul looked very, very similar. They both were the youngest children of their family. Both of them kind of viewed themselves uh, small in their own eyes, the Bible says. Definitely King Saul, the Bible says that he viewed himself as little in his own eyes. In fact, when they went to anoint him as king, they found him under the baggage because he was hiding such was his insecurity about himself. And we'll see through the tale of his life that that insecurity never left him and, in fact, twisted him into a man that I believe God never intended him to be. Mm -hmm. King David, however, had a very similar story. He was raised in a family where he was the youngest, an outcast, rejected, kind of scorned, was not even included in the potential ordination ceremony until Samuel the prophet said, there's one missing. But instead of letting his... Insecurities and the way that he was viewed by others lead him to insecurity and fear and control. It led him to his heavenly father. And it led him to find his affirmation and his his identity in his heavenly father, and it changed everything for him. It was interesting in this scripture, uh, in 1 Samuel, the Bible says that in, I, I believe it's about, 1 Kings chapter number nine, where Saul is anointed king over Israel. And around five or six chapters later, the Bible tells us that God regrets making Saul king. He barely lasted six chapters and God had changed his mind. Why? Saul was charismatic. He united the tribes of Israel. He, He created an army out of thin Eh, he had some incredible military victories, and yet here's what happened in First Samuel chapter number 15, 24 to 29. Then King Saul said to Samuel the prophet, who was the anointer of kings, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. There's a problem right there. You could preach on that forever. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul in one of the most extra, extreme, extravagant verses and scenes in the Bible, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. So Samuel said to him, this is a prophetic picture. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbour of yours who is better than you. I mean, that's a savage. Nobody told God that, that it was like not okay to compare people like that. Nobody told God that he should be PC. And also, just to remind you that the strength of Israel is not bound up in one man. The strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. The title of my message this morning is Two Kings Within. And the title of this message is meant to be something that causes us to go to a place of self-reflection. This message is about the difference and the distinction between the two kings that I believe every human soul has a battle for dominance on the inside of them. This message is, as I said, for self-reflection, not to use as cannon fodder for you to fire at your enemies or try to diagnose the people around you, but rather to have an inward reflection God, which king lay within and do I need to make some changes? And you'll find you can have characteristics of both at any point in your life. I want to just bring some distinctions between the way that King Saul led and the way that King David led today. I'm going to go through five different characteristics. And honestly, there could be multitudes of them. But these are the five I feel the Lord wanting to share with you today, me wanting to share with you today. The first one is a spear versus empowerment. Let me kind of break that down for you. In 1 Samuel 19, 8 to 10, it says this. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow. Good job, David. And they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with a spear in his hand. Somebody say a spear. And David was playing music with his hand. What a distinction. Saul leads with a spear, but King David's living his best life, picking up the guitar playing some songs from the Move of Heaven album. He's, he's loving his life. He's not leading from a place of stress or striving or insecurity or control. But King Saul, on the other hand, got to a place where the only way he knew he could keep the kingdom was through force and through fear. And the Bible says that he sat with a spear in his hand and it was that very spear that he lopped at the head of King David. Was that very spear that had King David having to flee from Israel to save his own life? Two kings within. You can tell what kind of king you are by whether strength has to run from you, you're running out strength, or whether you get people and you put strength in them. This was the key difference between King Saul and King David. King Saul had to lead with a spear because he no longer was inspiring. He sat in a tent while Goliath of Gath intimidated the Israeli people day after day after day, but was too cowardly to do anything about it until a little shepherd boy with faith in God came in and took care of business and solved Israel's greatest problem. And then the music changed, and then the top 40 song changed from Saul has slain his thousands to King David, his tens of thousands. And instead of Saul going, oh my gosh, what a blessing from God. God sent me a giant slayer. Thank you, Jesus. Israel is going to go from strength to strength. He saw it as a threat. And he said, what more can David have but the kingdom? And right then, I believe that something started to shift. We see the distressing spirit come from the Lord because he was now ruling under his own hand, King Saul, and not the hand of God. You'll find that this is something that we, can, that we can learn from in our own lives, and it will be an indicator of how we lead, what kind of a king we are. Do we have to lead our family, our relationships, our employees, the people around us with a spear? Or do we lead them through inspiration? Do we need to have a spirit already in order to keep it? I'm telling you, you don't have somebody if you have to keep them with a spear. You have prisoners, but you don't have that person. And if you try to use those tactics in a marriage relationship, in a business world, you will drive out your strength. And you'll be asking yourself questions like, why does my wife not have any confidence? Why do my kids not know how to think? Why do my employees never come up with any good ideas? Because if you lead with fear, you will stifle strength. And anybody with dignity and anybody with a brain will have to run from your presence in order to be everything that God's called them to be. And we see it outworked in church sometimes, don't we? The leaders who lead with a spirit at their side. Fear. And I'm telling you, if someone has to speak endlessly of submission it tells me that they live in mortal fear of a rebellion. If someone has to talk endlessly of, you just need to do what I say, submit, 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 it reveals a fear in their own heart. They're leading with a sword. We were just... uh, we were just in Italy, and uh, we were privileged to have a tour of the Vatican and St. Peter's Basilica. And I saw some very interesting things there, things that, that were, were troubling. And there was this particular tour that we went on where um, we were looking at all the different crypts of popes that had gone before. And they even had like this one crypt that was made of glass where they had kind of pre- preserved a pope's body. And you could look in and see his actual body. It was very, very creepy, but very interesting. Um, I probably scared the kids, but I thought it was quite interesting. But they had all these different crypts and coffins. And we came to this one, and it said this particular pope died in while he was still a pope, still in the papacy. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know the actual term. And so I asked the question, well, how did he die? And the guide said, syphilis. I'm like, well, that's interesting. (laughs) Because aren't they supposed to be celibate? (laughs) Wasn't there a rule made in order to to control them because... Sex is messy and marriage can be messy. So let's just make a rule to control people through fear that they can't get married. And so on the outside, everything looked honky dory but how many people know that rules don't change hearts? So they were just getting up to no good behind closed doors. And, and there are many churches that in, instead of inspiring and empowering, which is what King David did, the Bible says that when he fled the kingdom, he didn't solicit people to come along with him. He didn't... St- start an Israeli tribe split. He, he didn't ask anybody to come with him, nor did he say a word. And yet, 400 men, distressed, in debt, and discontented, found him. You know what, they came to him weak, but he put might on the inside of him. <laughs> What's more inspirational, a leader with a spear in their hand? Everybody around them. Fears being run through, will that elicit the best out of people? No. Instead, King David put might on the inside of this man. Saul could only have weakness around him, but David developed strength in the people around him. I want to encourage you. Which king are you letting lead you in this area? Are you leading what God has entrusted you with a spear out of fear? I will manipulate out of fear. I'll make rules, and we see it in churches, don't ever have a glass of wine, you could have an affair. (laughs) Don't, know. we don't allow dancing, you could have an affair. And the girls better not be wearing spaghetti straps because you could be having an affair. (laughs) And if you leave our environment of control and spear throwing, something bad will happen to you. It doesn't create sons and daughters, empower people to their best. It creates slaves. It creates prisoners. That's why Jesus had to come, because the Pharisees were ruining it. God gave his people 10 commands, just 10. Excellent commands, by the way. At the very beginning, but the Pharisees added so many, it created a burden on people's backs out of fear because their lives weren't inspirational. But Jesus turned up on the scene and He took a ragtag bunch of fishermen and tax tax collectors and others and made them people who turned the world on its head for the Kingdom of God. Which king are you? How do you lead your family? How do you lead your business? How do you lead your friendships? The mighty men that came to King David cleaned up their lives, not because of the threat of a spear, but because of his inspiration. We want to be like him. There's something about this guy. For the first time in history, I believe God looked down and said, this is what true kingship looks like. And my shoelace is undone. All right. Someone. Thank you. The prophetic shoelace is untied. I don't want you to be distracted looking at my untied shoelace. All right. Amen, Leanne. A spear versus empowerment. Which king do you want to be? Amen. The second point. Obedience versus sacrifice. Sacrifice. Obedience versus sacrifice. In 1 Samuel 15, God comes to King Saul and gives him a command through the prophet Samuel. I want you to completely wipe out Amalek. They are perverse, wicked, idolatrous, murderers, violent. And if they are allowed to live, something devastating will happen to the people of Israel. You wipe them out completely. And then something interesting happened. In 1 Samuel 15, 9, we'll see Saul's response to what God had asked of him. But Saul and the people spared Agag, who was the king of Amalek, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, this is a long list, you guys, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. Hang on a second. I thought God gave him a divine command to kill it all, and yet he kept everything that was pleasing to the eye, but everything that was despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. How do we see this spirit manifest in our current world? Uh, I'll, I'll kill everything God asked me to kill to a point. To a point. Unless it gives me pleasure. Unless I derive some pleasure of, God, God, you can have what's despised and worthless. You can have my shame. Give me, I'm going to give that. I hate it. Anyway, you have that. I'll, I'll give you my sin. I'll give you that. I'll give you my sickness. Hate it. Hate the sickness. My broken heart, Father, I'll give you that. Wow. But over here, not, not my relationships, Lord. Not the way I live my life not my lifestyle I need it it gives me pleasure Lord and then King uh, Samuel comes to King Saul when he's in his era and he's walking up to to what should be the the burning embers of a place that has been completely wiped out and instead he hears the bleeding of sheep the lowing of oxen and King Agag there in all his resplendent glory He's like Saul what the heck And King Saul's like, well, I killed most of it. I I killed all the despised stuff. And look, I'm sorry I've sinned, but but let's just make a sacrifice. I'll just go forward on an altar call next week. I'll just keep going forward on altar calls. And the prophet Samuel has to say to him, under the inspiration of God, "I, I don't want your sacrifice. I want your obedience. And if there is any word to the church right now under the Spirit of God in a prophetic message, I don't want your endless sacrifices that mean nothing to you. I want your life. I want your heart. I want your obedience. I want all of you. I want all of you. What example are we to a world that, God wants to redeem and transform if we are just like them. The same behavior, the same lifestyles, the same speech, wow. all just with an awakened logo on it. Oh. With a Christian bumper sticker. We look like everybody else, but we got the WWJD bracelet. Wow. And will have And listen, I don't want to disparage altar calls. I want you to come forward, but I want it to be genuine. Yes. Right here, God is making a distinction through the prophet Samuel. You come forward on altar calls, but your heart is not with me. Is it any, any reason or any, any wonder why God spoke to Samuel and said to him, I, I'm done with this guy. Look at his heart. It wasn't that David was sinless, but when David sinned, he was truly repentant. He didn't use and abuse God's grace. And there came a point in Saul's life where God said, that's enough now. I can't deal with a guy whose heart who looks like this. Was David sinless? No. But when Nathan came to him and said, what you have done is a great wickedness, he took his licks and he wrote the psalm, and he shifted, and he changed, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Is it any reason that God had to tear the kingdom from King Saul and give it to King David, a man after His own heart? Obedience versus sacrifice. When King Saul was confronted by Ahimelech, the priest, when it was clear that Ahimelech would not turn a blind eye to Saul's dealings and his means of keeping the kingdom through fear and control and underhanded business, Saul had Ahimelech and all the priests around him killed. And we might say, well, I would never do that. But do we? Do we? When God sends his prophets, his chosen ones, people who have access into our lives to show us, God told you to kill that. He told you to put that to death, but you didn't. Instead of killing what he told us to kill, do we kill them? Wow. And the easy thing about today is there's a million other churches you can go to and another, a lot of places that will pander to your secret sin, sins, the things that the Lord is asking you to tear down. Wow. I don't want your sacrifice is the famous point of this whole story. I want your heart. I want your obedience. When the world looks at us, will they see the reality of what it means to give your life fully to Jesus? I remember many, many years ago when I was part of a different church, we had a young man come to our church who had been saved out of the gay lifestyle. And he came into our church with an open heart to God, with a desire for transformation. But sadly, he saw in the people around him the very thing that he was escaping from. And at the end of it, he said, you know what? Why should I change my life if you guys haven't? Why, why would I change my ways if you haven't? Wow. They will live in the same way, but just with a WWJD bracelet, with a, King, with a Jesus bumper sticker. Same language, same behaviour. Same lifestyles. Are we in as much bondage as the people that we're called to be missionaries to? Amen, Liam. I know, that was hard. I better have a drink after that. <laughs> the third thing, dishonour versus honour. King David was a man of honour. He honoured God. He honoured people. He honoured the work of God. And yet, on the flip side, King Saul was a man of complete dishonour. Didn't honour people. Didn't honour his own children, his wives, his men. He, he didn't honour the voice of God, the prophets of God. He was a man of dishonour. But we see the most beautiful picture when King Saul and King David have a, a, a divine encounter in a cave, They have a divine encounter in a cave, and David at this point is running for his life from Saul, but God kind of manufactured this moment where they would meet, and it would be the perfect picture of the beauty and the tenderness of King David's heart, and how wonderful, rare, and beautiful that spirit of honour is. And I think this is something that needs to be restored to the sons sons and daughters of God in this time. It's a beautiful picture. They have this interaction in the cave and God allows David to see King Saul in a moment of great vulnerability. The Bible says they enter the same cave. David's in there hiding with his men and King Saul comes in to relieve himself. He comes in to use the bathroom. Now, I can't think of a more vulnerable moment for your enemy to catch you than when you go into the bathroom in a cave. And so King David's men they're just like, well, this is God. This is the hand of God has delivered him to you. This is your chance to strike him, to take him out. Our lives will change. We've been running like fugitives. This is the chance for you to take over Israel and for Israel to become everything that we know it can be under your leadership. But what I love about David is for a second, he falters, and the Bible says he cuts off a square of, Saul's robe, but that's all he does. And even after that, his heart is panged. How could I? How could I? Like he was troubled in his heart and it reveals his beautiful, tender heart. But then he, instead of striking Saul, honors him, confronts him, yes, but honors him. We're in a a season right now where a spirit of dishonor that the world has adopted has sadly kind of crept a little bit into the church. Now, we have an opportunity to absolutely confront when we are faced with issues that need confrontation, but we're always called to do it with honour. There's a lot of robe cutting going on at present. There's a lot of striking of the Lord's anointed going on. Don't be like those people. Instead, do what David did. He said, far be it from me to strike or touch the Lord's anointed. And it's not about leaders dodging the accountability for their actions but leaving judgment and justice in the hands of the one, the only one, who was able to handle it rightly and correctly. And in the end, we saw Saul get his just rewards, but David didn't have to kill King Saul to get the throne. He knew if God has anointed me, he will appoint me. I do not need to strike the hand of the Lord's anointed or lift my hand against the Lord's anointed to get the throne. God will deliver it to me in due time. David confronted him, but he didn't strike him. No, not, not only that, he restrained his men from... This is like a whole other level of honour. Like, you can withhold your lips from being dishonourable, but to actually speak to those around you and to challenge them when they do it, oh, my gosh. I reckon that night, God just... I mean, not that he sleeps, but he especially couldn't that night because he looked down and he's like, i just basking in the afterglow of such a rare occurrence... He had every opportunity to lift his hand and strike, and he didn't take it. It was a test of David's character and a test that we can learn from today. Which king are you? Honour is never seen so vividly and so perfectly when you have a chance to dishonour. Doesn't mean we don't confront. David certainly confronted King Saul for the way he was being treated, but he didn't dishonour him. He did what the Bible tells us in the book of Peter. He left his case in the hands of God, the one who always judges fairly. Somebody say amen. Amen. Dishonor versus honor. We are people of honor. And I just know that King David looked at Saul's life and said, if I don't want to be like him, I I can't do the things that he does. Instead of picking up the spear and lobbing it back at Saul's head, he ran from it. He learned to dodge a spear. He certainly didn't hang around in the presence of spear throwers, but he learned to dodge it, but not toss it back at them. I believe there's something so noble and virtuous and something that the Lord wants to tell us as his kids in this hour. The fourth one, emotion versus devotion. In the same cave after, King Saul is hit with the reality of I am chasing an innocent man, a man that the Lord has anointed. He makes this incredible plea and this incredible speech. The Bible says that Saul lifted up his voice and wept in 1 Samuel 24. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? This was so rare. Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, he made a vow and he kept it. And Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Saul makes this very emotional speech. But what is the point of making an emotional speech and a vow if your behaviour doesn't change? One chapter later, he's pursuing David again. He's got an army, 4,000 men trying to take King David out. Like he makes this incredible pledge. He puts a big post on Instagram about how his heart's changed. (laughs) He makes a vow to his people. He says to David, Oh my gosh, I see that God has anointed you to be king, but it was just emotion. If emotion doesn't lead you to devotion, it's just words. Which king are you? It's easy to make vows of emotion, especially in church when you're emotionally moved. But who we truly are is seen when our emotion leads to devotion. Nothing wrong with emotion. King David was a very emotional man. Just look at the Psalms. But the difference between these two kings, the two kings within in this story, is one made an emotional declaration he didn't back up with his actions. The other one said, yep, I I swear to you, I am not going to wipe out your name and I am going to deal well with your descendants. And he did both of them. Even when his descendants, Mephibosheth, were dishonorable, David kept his vow. Even when King Saul and his son, Jonathan, were killed in battle and their headless bodies were stuck to a wall in, in the Philistine camp, The Bible says that mighty men, these same mighty men that David empowered rose up and went and got those bodies and brought them back for a proper burial. And then King David wrote a song about the the majesty and the greatness of Saul. He kept his promises. Imagine how much the world would change if Christians kept their promises. It wasn't just an emotional vow, standing at an altar call, forsaking all others, I choose you. It's not just the emotion of the wedding day, but the devotion in the days that follow for better or for worse, in sickness and in health till death do us part. I mean, that would be, that would change the world. Two kings within, one who's very good at making emotional pledges and pleas without backing them up. The other who was devoted to his word. There's something so godly about keeping your Word. The Bible even says of God, He watches over His Word to perform it. I think it's no small thing to be people of our Word. It can be diminished. It can be dismissed. Even down to keeping our commitments that we make that most people will sadly, in a survey done with, I believe it's Evite, Something like 20% of people that tick yes end up not showing to their commitment. And we think it's small, but it's not. What is one of the greatest criticisms of Christians? Hypocritical. They say one thing and they do another. Imagine how much the world would change and how much our witness would change if we were people of our word. There's something so clingly about that. Not just people of emotion, but people of devotion. And then finally, monuments versus legacies. In 1 Samuel 15, 12, it says this. Early in the morning, Samuel the prophet got up and went to meet King Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honour and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. David built no monuments to himself, but his legacy lasted right throughout the Old Testament and into the new. They even speak about him in the book of Revelation. Someone who has to leave a monument to honour themselves has fear over how their legacy will be remembered. And in this case, it was very true for Saul. Because when we read the story of his life, we see that he didn't leave a legacy worth following, but a legacy of ruin. In the beginning of his life, he was a champion. 1 Samuel chapter number 10, the greatest moment of King Saul's leadership, when he led the Israelites to victory over Nahash. But now his legacy was one of ruin, a divided Israel. Descendants that were wiped off the face of the earth and the only few that were left were full of bitterness and resentment because he put his focus on the wrong thing. Instead of raising sons, daughters, being inspirational, leaving a legacy for others to follow, he was so obsessed with his own status, he built a monument to himself, not thinking about tomorrow, just thinking about today. David didn't build a monument to himself, but like I said, he was remembered so fondly and beautifully as a man after God's own heart, even kings who came after him, who never met him. The Bible says of them that they followed the decrees and the statutes and the ways of their father, David. Incredible. People ask us, why why do we not just have one big mega campus and we get to hear from Pastor Juergen every single Sunday? Why? we're not leaving a monument to men. We're leaving a legacy of sons and daughters of disciples. We're not called to leave a memorial stone. Here lies King Jorgen and Leanne. We're called to leave a legacy of living stones, sons and daughters of God who are empowered not to be the only giant slayer in the kingdom, but to be giant slayer raisers, empowerers of men and women. So long after our name is forgotten, there is a legacy that goes on, a legacy of the greatest King, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, when we finally meet Jesus, we're gonna cast our crowns before Him. And I got to thinking about it. I thought, I wonder if that's because we'll realize how futile it was. Oh God, I saw title and prominence and love and, and popularity with men and all this status on earth. I wanted that title, I wanted this crown, but oh, God seeing you being here, the other side of eternity, it's worthless. I wonder if they take their crowns off because they're like, Ooh, get it off me. Why did I cover this? Why did I want this? Why did I want a monument to myself? Don't settle for a crown on earth when Jesus wants to put one on your head in heaven. That's when it's gonna matter. And if you live for him today, not to leave a monument to yourself. But do what Jesus asked before he ascended, go into the whole world and make disciples of all nations. So when I stand before God, it's not like, here here I am, Lord. Look at all I did. Here's my monument. But God, here are the men and women after me who are empowered. I didn't have to lead them with a spear. I didn't have to rule with fear, control, and manipulation, but through inspiration and empowerment. Father, I gave, I, I multiplied what you put in my hand and I made it better. I took the distressed, I took the discontented, I took the in debt and I made them mighty God. I didn't raise a church where people would just come forward on an altar call, week after week, not having a change in their heart. Father, I raised a group of men and women who understood that obedience is greater than sacrifice. I'd love it if you'd stand to your feet right now. Two kings within, two kings within. Which king is winning in your life? The fearful, controlling king who has to lead with a spear to get people to follow you? You're not gonna keep them. They're not gonna change through manipulation and control. But if you wanna bring the best out and the people that God has entrusted to you, Take their discontentment, their distress and their in depth moments and inspire and empower. Leave a, li- leave a legacy. Don't build a monument to yourself. Leave a legacy of living stones, people that God has breathed into through your life. Lift your hands to the Lord. Thank You, Father. Thank You, Lord. Thank You for Your sons and Your daughters today. Father, I thank You for this season. I thank You for the example of Your Word. Two kings within. God, that we would make the decision in this time and this hour, which king we wanna be like, which king we will let win. Father, we put to death every part of us that is driven by fear today. Lord God, every part of us that hasn't completely surrendered to You, God, we don't wanna live from apology to apology, sacrifice to sacrifice. Father, we wanna be obedient because You changed our lives. Father God, and we don't wanna build a monument to ourselves, but we wanna leave a legacy that speaks of You. Father, that they would say of the people in this house that they could truly see the Lord in them, that they didn't live just for today, but Father, for an eternity, Lord God, to receive a crown in heaven, a crown that never tarnishes, a crown that never wears out. Father, I thank You today as You move across this earth, we pray the prayer, the Psalm that is written by King David, create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Father, I thank You. I thank You that You're moving that the greatest giant slayers are yet to come, that King David's would arise in this hour. Father, that every plan the enemy has to take us out through us adopting the wrong spirit would be thwarted in Jesus' Name, that You would illuminate truth to us today by Your Word. Father, we thank You that Your Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody give God a huge shout of praise. A huge shout of praise.
0: Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages